our gospel reading has to be understood at three levels. It reflects the past, it grounds us in the present, and it points us to the future, the past. Prior to our particular reading, Jesus predicted the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. He warned believers to flee the holy city when the signs he gave them came to pass. He also warned that false messiahs will pop up, and he urged people not to put their faith in them. Thirty-seven years later, Titus, son of the emperor Vespasian, laid siege to Jerusalem on April 14th in the year 70 and breached the walls of the city on August 30th in the year 70. Some scholars hold that August 30th was the same day that the temple of King Solomon was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar in 587 BC. To the residents of Jerusalem, the flood of angry Roman soldiers into their city must have seemed like the end of the world. Chaos reigned. There was a wholesale slaughter with few being spared. Josephus, and a Jewish historian of that very era who witnessed it, said the streets of Jerusalem ran ankle deep in blood. And Josephus was not prone to exaggeration. Soldiers set the temple complex on fire. Titus made efforts to spare the temple, but as so often happens in war, bloodlust and the urge to take revenge on one's enemies were overwhelming. There were so many decorations made of gold and other precious objects in the temple complex that were to be salvaged or sent off to Rome. Then the temple was torn down with only the western wall, what many call the Wailing Wall, standing as a reminder to everyone of the power of Rome. The Arch of Triumph to Titus still stands in Rome to this day, depicts Roman soldiers carrying the loot of the temple into Rome. It was the Roman custom of that era to hold a celebratory parade, led by the conquering general and his army, then followed by captives, later to be sold as slaves, enemy soldiers, and last, the enemy general. And after the parade, the Jewish general, Simon, son of Giora, in accordance with Roman tradition, was ceremoniously murdered. It is thought that the proceeds from the sale of the loot taken from the temple helped defray the cost of what we is now known as the Colosseum. Those are the historical realities. The present. Jesus tells us to be alert, watch. The Christian is not to be idle, looking up into the sky to see if the Lord is coming. Neither is he or she to waste time scouring through the scriptures, vainly searching for some secret code that predicts when the Lord is coming. And this, of course, hasn't stopped many from attempting to do so often with the tragic result of misleading gullible people. But the Lord said, don't do it. The Christian is expected to be alert, meaning what? To go about his or her life 
using the graces he or she has received to bring hope, truth, light, and peace into his or her own life, the life of one's family, the lives of non-believers, the life of one's community. The Christian is to be alert by employing the truths of faith in the public arena, and yes, even bringing them to bear in the voting booth as best as one is able with the candidates that are presented. We are, above all, to be a people of hope. Why? Because we know the end of the story, the future. The Lord is in control of history. This is made very clear in the first gospel of Christmas when the genealogy of Jesus is proclaimed. You know the one. It's the one you all fall asleep at when it's read. There were some very holy people in Jesus' family tree, but there were some real evil ones as well. And yet, despite all the pain and suffering that human sin can and often does generate, despite all of its darkness, God brought his light into the world in the person of his Son to begin the process of dispelling the darkness. It is a light that can never be extinguished. God is in control of history. It is important to remember that Jesus did not die as the result of imperial politics or institutional religious intolerance. He didn't even die from crucifixion. Those things were real, of course, but they were the instruments of Jesus' execution, not the cause of his death. He tells us in John's Gospel, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. You can't do that, I can't do that, but Jesus can. And just as he chose the precise moment to come into time and history without a biological father yet born of the virgin, so too he chose the precise moment in time and history to die. The precise moment when the divine wisdom knew all could be saved. It was at that moment, the scriptures tell us, the Lord bowed his head and died. The authorities, in fact, were astounded he died so quickly. Jesus' life then was not taken from him as if he was a passive victim. Rather, he marched into death. He descended into hell to break its stranglehold and rose from the dead in that mystery scripture records Jesus is calling what? His hour. Now, why is that important? In our baptism, in our immersion in Jesus, the believer is immersed in the hour of Jesus. The believer is assured that his or her hour is inextricably linked to Jesus' hour, that suffering and death can never have the last word over us, unless, of course... We give sin and unrepentance that kind of power. United to Jesus, we are given the courage to live our faith boldly, no matter how much the powers of this world oppose us or unleash violence against us. And just as he chose that precise moment 
to come into this world of ours, that precise moment to leave this world, so too he knows the precise moment when he shall return to this world and bring time and history to an end. May it please God it be tonight. But until then, when he comes, we need to be alert. We need to be on watch. <laughs>